everyone. Hey, that was good. We're, the extra hour sleep has helped, right? <laughs> that is fabulous. It is lovely to see you this morning. For those of you that are trying church with us today, thank you. You might have been bribed with free lunch afterwards by whoever invited you along, or there might be some other, but thank you for being with us today. There is chocolate for you over at the Connect area. Come and see us at the Connect area afterwards. Um, so I'm Andy. For those that don't know me, I lead with my wife, Bethan, and I probably shouldn't do this, but it's her birthday today. So she, she, she's probably not here. She is here. So I, I'm... I'm no, oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> hey, that's. Thank you. You see, I didn't. I didn't know that. I can get away with that, and she still has to love me afterwards. So we're we're all good this morning. So I'm going to dive in. If we got the first slide. I've, I've shown this one before. This is from a trip a few months ago that we took to Bulgaria to visit the churches out there. And my point in showing that is just the reflection and the point that light is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Light is amazing, because that's light that does that. And then on the next slide, things like um, a rainbow, the northern lights, light is amazing. I don't know about you, but I way prefer light over darkness. I, I, I really don't like bumping into things. Like walking into doors and stuff like that. I, I'm getting to an age now where I like driving at night less than I used to. I like light. Light is a big theme through the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. In a world that was formless and empty and dark, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, that was before the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. So I think that was the light of God's presence shining into the world. A traditional Christmas reading from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then Jesus comes into the world and says, I am the light of the world. Our young vineyard children are having a light party today because we love light. We're choosing to celebrate light at this time when many are celebrating darkness. So today we are continuing our series going through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul. He urges us to live in the light, to live in the life that Jesus has for us. So we're going to look at the second half of chapter 4, chapter 5, and the first half of chapter 6. But don't worry, we're not going to read it all. Okay? He urges us to come into God's light, into the life that Jesus has for us, and to stand firm in living this new life in Christ. And I believe this is an urgent invitation for all of us. If you've said yes to Jesus already, this is for you. If you're here today and you're curious about Jesus, Jesus is reaching out to you today. If you're here today, you're trying church because someone invited you, this is for you. And I hope that what I share is helpful. If you have a Bible, could you turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 4? The words will come up on the screen in just a moment. These verses that I'm going to read in the second half of chapter 4 set the scene for living in the light. Now, as I head into this, you're going to notice that the word light does not appear in the text. 
But in, in versions like the NIV, it talks about living in a way that's darkened in our understanding. And there's an implication that before Jesus, we're living in a dark place, but we're invited into a light place. We're living in the light. I'm actually going to read from the message version of the Bible um, this morning. We're going to start from verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, being well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Amen. Amen. At the start of this series, we spoke about three big cultural narratives, and I'm just going to remind us of those. The first is secularism. What that says is that there is no God, and it puts doubt at the center of the human story. Second narrative is expressive individualism. If we don't trust what's around us, self becomes the primary unit of concern. And so it's that sort of you do you. It's all about the self. And the third narrative is postmodernism. If we each have our own truth, and when that is coupled with an increasing wariness of outside voices and of authority, what it leads to is deconstruction of things like gender and marriage, church, education, deconstruction. And all of these together, in my view, leads to a very fragile and a very anxious world. I don't know whether you've noticed this. The levels of anxiety are going up and up and up because all of these things feel very fragile and could topple over at any moment. I passionately believe that Jesus offers us a better way, a new life. So one of the things I want to think about this morning is how can we take hold of that and how can we stand firm in the life that Jesus offers us. And I think this is incredibly important. In a world that feels very wobbly, one of the things I'm trying to do for myself is how can I stay upright? How can I stand firm? And that may be a question, I hope it's a question you're asking yourself as well. When so much of those narratives feel very wobbly, how are you gonna stand firm in life? So I love what Paul writes in verse 17, and I'll read it again. He says, I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. In other words, please don't believe everything culture tells you. Please don't believe. Please don't believe what the news tells you all the time, the media, the things around you. Please don't believe all of it. I was reminded of this in the week, a famous writing from the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. He famously wrote, 
God is dead. That is amplified by a secular narrative. For me, Scripture shows me that God is real and that he's very much alive. For the past 2,000 years, there are millions of stories of people who have personally encountered Jesus. Millions of stories of healing, of prayers answered, of miracles. There are around about 2.4 billion Christians on the planet right now who would say that Jesus is alive. My lived experience tells me that God is very much alive. If there's anyone that agrees with me here this morning, can you give me an amen? amen. There's a few of us. Our lived experience is that Jesus is alive. We don't have to believe the narrative that we are the center of our own worlds. We don't have to believe that narrative. That narrative, it's all about me, baby. We don't have to believe that. We don't have to believe the cultural narrative that we can be whatever we want to be. And let me tell you, that narrative is everywhere. For those of you that were here a few weeks ago, Jason had that Barbie doll. He had that little strap line on that. How many of you have seen the movie Babe? It's the story of a pig that wants to be a sheepdog. It's that cultural narrative, you can be whatever you want to be. In my view, no, you can't. No, you can't. You can't be whoever you want to be. You can be who God created you to be, but you can't create that construct for yourself. But these narratives are leading to a very anxious world. Can you see the way that identity is eroded by these narratives? Very anxious world. And what Paul would write, if, I think if the apostle would stood here right now, he'd say, you don't have to believe it. Don't go along with the crowd. Don't go along with the crowd. Good news for us this morning. There is another way. We can find a brand new life in Jesus. A brand new life. Have you ever been anywhere that was absolutely pitch black dark? I've twice been down a coal mine. Not to be a miner. It's like the tourist kind of side of it. And there's a time when you're down there and they say, right, we're going to switch the lights off. And they switch the lights off. And you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. And what, I mean, you might be crazier than I but what I do when I'm in that, I don't move. Because I know I, I, I'm not going to move a foot because I don't know what's around. So I don't want to trip over. I don't want to bump into somebody. I don't want to knock somebody over. I don't want to hurt myself or somebody else. You see, that's what it's like living a life without Jesus. That's what Paul says. It's like we're in that pitch darkness and, we, and we're running this risk of just bumping into stuff and hurting ourselves and other people. And it's not how we were created to live. At the beginning of the creation, let there be light. We're created to live in light. We're created to live in the light of God's presence. But what many of us start doing is we live, it's like living in a house without lights on. And we sort of bump around into stuff. And the invitation that we're given from Jesus, who's like living in the next door house with the lights full lit on, come on in. Come on in. That's the invitation. Now, saying yes to Jesus is not adding Jesus to the rest of our lives. 
It's not, the invitation in this, uh, in this text here is not like we carry on living the way that we've been living and just add a bit of Jesus to it. That's not what Paul is saying to us. It's not like the, 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 our life is like a cake and Jesus is like an extra cherry. No, that, that's not the invitation of the Christian gospel. It is way more radical than that. What it is, is a brand new cake. Completely new. Not just iced up a little bit better, adding Jesus to the rest of our lives. It's like a brand new cake. We're to take off, in the language, take off an old life. Imagine you've got a grubby old coat. Take it off and put on a new one. A completely new life. And so I love the way that uh, that's rendered in verses 23 and 24. He says, I mean everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through, get rid of it, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. This new life in Jesus is not about trying harder. It's not about just trying to modify our external behavior, trying to be a good person. Have you tried that? I've tried it. It's really hard work. It's really hard work. And there are times where the wheels come off. The good news of Jesus is that by the power of his spirit, there is an inner transformation inside of us through the renewing of our minds and the transforming of our hearts that then works itself out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love the way the message translates this. God's character being accurately reproduced in us. The character of Jesus accurately reproduced in us. This new life is then to be worked out. And what Paul then does in the next sort of chapter and a half is give a whole load of examples of practical areas of our life which are to be impacted by this new life of Jesus. And so I'm going to just share some quickly. You've got all the text. I'm going to, why don't you go home this afternoon and read the whole text for yourself? But I'm just going to touch on some of these examples. And as I do this, would you just be attentive to, like, maybe something just jumps out to you. And that's just like the, the Lord saying, there's something in that area of our lives that he wants to do some work in today. So would you just be attentive to that? So here's just a few things. Firstly, he says, be honest. In the way that you live your lives, be honest. And he talks about in verses 25 and 28, he says, no more lies and no more stealing. So maybe where this works out for you, you're in a work context and it can be very tempting to cut a creative corner when you're doing your expenses. Or you're billing for some work and they'll never know if you add on an extra few days. There are ways that we can sort of like get a little bit creative. Maybe there are things in our lives where we're tempted just to cover up with a few sort of porky pies. I'm from London. Those of you that aren't, that's rhyming slang. You know where I'm going. Porky pies lies. We're tempted to cover up. The way of Jesus is to take off dishonesty, word and deed, and to take hold of integrity, to live with honesty. And I love you, you'll know the American author Mark Twain, he put it this way, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. 
Secondly, dealing healthy with our anger. See that in verses 26 and 27. Now, let me just say this. I believe that to feel anger is legitimate. It is legitimate. It makes sense, doesn't it? There are things that make us feel angry. But here's the thing. In God's kingdom, there is no legitimate reason to let anger destroy you. There's no legitimate reason to let it destroy you. Don't give the devil a foothold. So we take off unhealthy anger, and we put on emotional health, the resources of the kingdom to deal healthily with things like anger. Thirdly, living physically as God intended in chapter 5, verses 3 and verse 18, Paul writes about how we are to live as sexual beings, but within God's boundaries. He writes about not getting drunk. And we could, I think, add to that in our world lots of other addictions that control our behavior. It's always struck me as interesting that most of the addictive substances are derived from plants. Alcohol, nicotine, cocaine, heroin. At the start of the Genesis account, Genesis 1.29, we're giving specific dominion over plants. Part of the fall is that that's been switched around. And the new life in Jesus invites us to a hope that we can get back to how things were intended to be. Freedom from addiction. In Jesus, we take off things that we do physically that cross God's boundaries for our lives, and we put on the life of Jesus. And that, in part, is marked by a life of self-control over sex and substances. Fourthly, Paul talks about how we do marriage. How does marriage work in this new life of Jesus Christ? You'll see that in a, in a section in the end of chapter 5. In Paul's day, there was a, what was called a household code, which effectively meant that men would lord it over women just on the basis of their gender. Not because they were smarter, not because they were any wiser, but just because of their chromosomes. The household code. What Paul does in this text is he says, we're to take off models of hierarchical marriage because the way of Jesus is radically different. And what Paul talks about in marriage is that a man and a woman would mutually submit one to another out of love for one another. Mutual submission is the way of Jesus. And so if you are married here today, would you choose mutual submission and love as the heart of your marriage? And do everything that you can to stand firm in your marriage. We live in a world which is trying to deconstruct, which is trying to say, hey, if it's not working, the grass is greener on the other side. You know, if the grass is greener on the other side, it's probably AstroTurf. You know that? <laughs> Lifelong commitment to mutual submission in marriage. If that's, I, I just felt as I was preparing today, there's some people that needed to hear that. Maybe in your marriage that just feel a little bit wobbly right now, I want to encourage you to stand firm. Reach, help, reach out for the help that you need, but stand firm. Stand firm. If you know somebody that is married, would you pray for them? 
support them, encourage them to stand firm. Fifth thing that Paul talks about, he talks about how we bring up children. This life of Jesus spills over is to impact the way that we bring up children. You see that at the beginning of chapter 6. I'm going to summarize it. Basically, kids are to take off disobedience and put on honor for their parents. Parents, stop winding your kids up. Stop winding, don't wind them up. Don't hold them back. Rather, put on nurture and encouragement into their lives. So parents, if you're a parent here today or a grandparent, would you stand firm for your kids? Stand firm for them. If you know somebody that has children, would you stand firm with them? Our children need people like us right now. My belief is that their world is increasingly chaotic and confusing. And they need some people that are going to stand firm with them. People like us. People like us. And lastly, Paul writes a section about how we do our work, verses 5 to 9 of chapter 6. Paul uses the example of slaves and masters. Please don't get confused. He's not condoning slavery. It was just very endemic in the world that Paul lived. Today, we're probably more helped to think of employer or an employee. Um, we can think of the ways that we uh, put, a, put ourselves to use, whether that be paid or unpaid, the things that we do uh, with our time. And the way of Jesus is to transform how we go about what we put our hands to, whether that's paid or unpaid. And Paul talks about, he says, take off favoritism. So in other words, treat everyone the same. Take off only working hard when you're watched. He says, don't, don't, don't work like that. He says, if you're in a position of authority, don't abuse the power that you have. You know, you use that in a really godly way. And so he says, what, instead what we should do is we take on the attitude of working as if we're doing it for the Lord. Work in that kind of way. Bringing the very best to our work. Bringing the life of Jesus into the spaces in which we work. So, that was a whistle-stop tour of just some of the ways that Paul writes to us and says, the life of Jesus, this accurate reproduction of God's image in us, it's not just a theoretical thing. It's to work its way out into every area of our lives. I'm going to close with saying this, and then we'll, and then we'll pray. I love that we're going to get to baptize a bunch of people. As Robert said, they're not out of bed yet. So pray that they get up. Um, we're going to bunch a bunch, uh, baptize a bunch of our young people at the 11.15 service. As we've chatted with them, in different ways, they've recognized that there were things in their lives that were broken. There were things in their lives that were not working. And they are going to publicly say today, no to an old way of life, and yes to the life of Jesus. And there is beautiful symbolism in baptism because the way it works out in baptism is the no is going down into the water, is dying to an old way of life. This is why we can't just add Jesus to the rest of our lives because the, the old way of life has to die. It has to die. And baptism kind of enacts that for us, that as a person goes down, they are dying to an old way of life 
and rising to glorious new life in Christ. And so that's why I love what we're going to do in an hour and a half's time. Because it, it, it kind of acts out what Paul writes to us here. That we die to rise to new life. And so pray for those guys getting baptized with you. The reality is there are things in all of our lives that are broken. Is that right? No show of hands required. There are things in our lives that are broken. And it can be very easy just to get used to those things, right? It's like if you've got a broken door at home, you just get used to living with it. Here's the thing. We don't have to put up with a way of life that is old and broken because Jesus offers us a brand new life. He offers us a brand new life. So to say yes to him is to say yes to the Holy Spirit working that new life into us. And to say yes to the ways of Jesus today, I believe is the best thing that you can do today. So I'm going to pray just a very quick prayer in this moment, and then we'll have our ministry time. But I just want to give us an option. If you've been following Jesus for 95 years, I want to invite you to give you a yes to Jesus again today, to his way of life. And if you're here today and you say, well, I've not given my yes to Jesus before, then take this moment. You can say yes to him right now. So why don't we just bow our heads? I'm going to pray a very short prayer. Jesus, thank you that your life is way better than mine. Jesus, thank you that your life is the only way in which I can truly flourish as a human being. And so, Jesus, I'm sorry for the way that I've tried to fix up my own life, gone my own way. And so, Jesus, in this moment, I lay it down. I lay my life down, my way of doing it. And I put on your life. I say yes to your life. And so, Jesus, I want to ask that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill me. You would renew my mind and transform my heart. Accurately reproduce more of the life of Jesus in me. I open my heart to you in Jesus' name.